Hey, good morning. How's everyone doing? You guys do you. No pressure. I like, if you're not doing good, that's fine too. Uh, It's good to be with you. Um, uh, My name's Trevor. Um, We're uh, we're continuing a series um, this week on, uh, as we go through Lent. And so if you have a Bible, turn to um, the book of Habakkuk. Chapter 1, um, Old Testament, minor prophet book, a little bit obscure. I promise it is a book in the Bible. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 1 is where we're going to spend our time today and kind of through, through the book. Um, but as we do that, as, we, as you get there, I want to do some, a couple housekeeping items and do something a little different to start. Uh, number one, we'll do a, a Q&A at the, end of, uh, at the end of the sermon today. If you've, if you've been around the, the times that I've been fortunate enough to, um, to be able to teach, um, I, I'm a really big proponent about being able to dialogue, um, not just uh, monologue. And so um, a, as we go through the content, if there's something that stirs in your mind, questions about it, or whatever the case may be, um, and you're brave enough, feel free and ask, uh, ask a question. would love to be able to have a conversation about it. Um, I make kind of two reservations right out of the gate. Number one, I have no problem saying I don't know, and I'll get back to you. Number two, I don't claim to be Bible answer man, anything like that. I just, um, I think there's a real value in being able to have discussion and dialogue through, um, through some of these topics. So we'll, we'll do that. The second is, um, I, I was assigned this topic, um, and the topic is um, waiting, trust, and anxiety. Um, super fun. Um, and uh, as we get into it, it's, it's, a fairly, it's a fairly heavy topic, and, and I think we'll kind of wade into some deep waters this morning. So I wanted to give a little bit of a disclaimer before we get into it that we're going to try to tackle some, some heavier things and some, some deeper things, some emotional things. And so uh, what I want to do is, is I want to just take um, 30 seconds and, um, and just... Um, just sit quietly for those 30 seconds. I don't know where everybody's at, a room this size, people are coming in with all different things from the week, from the month, from the year, from the day. And uh, my hope is that we can bring all of that um, in this moment to God and that we can be present. And so uh, this might feel a little bit uncomfortable, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be silent for about 30 seconds and then I'll pray. Um, if you wanna take a deep breath and exhale and, uh, and pray for a second, that would be great too. But something to just kind of send our hearts and minds uh, to be present for uh, this moment. So I'll do that and then we'll pray. Father, thank you so much for this time, and thank you for uh, just a brief few seconds to sit and be still and to know that you're God. And I pray as we, as we dig into this text that your spirit would please be present, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, uh, that you would give us perspective on life and on eternity and on situations we find ourselves in and circumstances we find ourselves in. Uh, that there is a hope found in you and in Christianity unlike anything else on this planet. And so, Jesus, as we, as we talk, as we discuss, as we get into this text, I pray that you would please speak to us, that you would transform us uh, to become more like you, and that this would be a, a big part in that. So we look forward to what you're going to say. We thank you for this time, and it's for your beautiful name. Amen. Uh, 
All right, so um, we're in the series uh, in Lent, during Lent, that's taking us up to Palm Sunday, which will um, ultimately culminate in Good Friday and Easter, where we get to celebrate as a people the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And as we're doing it, we're going through um, this series. And so the last two weeks, Chris taught on, um, on confession and repentance as, as an act or as a practice uh, that we find all throughout Christianity. Um, he also talked about the value of community and relationships and the, the need for forgiveness and kind of that countercultural perspective that Christians hold uh, that because we've been forgiven of so much that it actually enables us through time and through prayer to be able to be a people who are marked by forgiveness as well. And so as we come to this week, um, like I said, I was assigned the topic of waiting, anxiety, and trusting in God. And, uh, and, and this, is, this is a very real kind of personal text for me as, as I've reflected on, on my life and on even the last few years of my relationship with God, circumstances, life, and, and trying to learn this, um, uh, this discipline or this art of, of trust and patience with God in the midst of very challenging circumstances. And so I want to start off by just posing a question for you to think about, um, and then that will help guide our time. So my question is, um, have you ever been disappointed with God before? Have you ever been frustrated with God before? Have you ever been angry at God and maybe you don't have a framework for that. Um, maybe that, that's, uh, you might get the impression that there isn't space for that or that um, there really isn't a spot to be mad at God or disappointed at God. And yet I want to show through this text that God actually welcomes that type of honesty in communication with him. And we see actually throughout the whole scriptures in many cases where uh, people of God who love him deeply find themselves in places where they're very frustrated, disappointed, and angry with him. And so if that is you today, if, you, if you're in that spot, if that's actually, if that resonates, my, my hope is that this will be uh, really encouraging as we kind of walk through uh, Habakkuk's journey in, uh, in this small book um, to see how he goes about experiencing his frustrations with God, how God responds, and ultimately what happens. And so we'll look at three ideas um, relatively quickly through this text. Um, so three points. Number one, Habakkuk's honesty. Number two, Habakkuk's practices, and then number three, Habakkuk's worship. So uh, honesty, practices, and worship. A uh, little bit of context. Um, this is um, a minor prophet. Um, it's a minor prophet not by its importance, but just due to its length. It's only a three-chapter book. It's kind of unique in terms of how the prophets are typically structured uh, because this is a book where Habakkuk is not writing to, uh, as he's speaking to the people of Israel to repent uh, of sin or to come back to God, which is kind of a theme that you see when you read the prophets. They're, they're coming in and they're writing about uh, to Israel, come back to God, repent of this, uh, God is doing this, whatever the case may be. But this book is actually just three chapters of, of Habakkuk and God going back and forth. It's really, it's kind of a journal that we get to see of Habakkuk praying and listening to God. And it happens in yet again another challenging spot in the history of Israel. So, with that, uh, if you're in Habakkuk chapter 1, uh, we'll look at verse 1 through 4 together, and this uh, will start with Habakkuk's honesty. Verse 1 says this, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? 
or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the law is perilous and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous and so justice goes forth perverted. Uh, anyone a little uncomfortable with that prayer, what, got, what he's saying? I mean, he doesn't really hold back in terms of what he's feeling. And if, if you break it down, really Habakkuk's calling out at least five things. He's saying, number one, God, I've been praying and praying and crying for help, but you don't listen. Two, God, you're letting me see and endure hardship and violence, and you're doing nothing to save Three, you see all the injustice that is taking place, and you're sitting idly by doing nothing about it. That, that word idly comes with the idea of that you are aware of it all, you can do something about it, and yet you're choosing to do nothing, is what Habakkuk's saying. So you see all the injustice that is taking place, you see it all, and yet you're choosing not to address it and not to do anything. And at a macro level, at a global level, no one is obeying you, no one is listening to the scriptures, and so the law is in effect neutered, and justice doesn't seem to be happening anywhere. And finally, and because of that, there are more wicked than righteous people, and we are being crushed. Anyone feel a little uncomfortable with that? I mean, that's pretty real. In, in effect, he is telling God that you're doing a terrible job at being God. Like, you got a job description and responsibilities, and by all accounts, you seem to be failing at it. Which is a lot, and, and pretty bold to be able to say to God, but I'm, I, I wonder today how many of you feel the same way right now. When you think about and you consider the, the circumstances you're in, what you're going through, if you and I were being really honest, do you feel, do we feel collectively that, God, there is a lot of stuff going on, you have the power to, to change it, you can change it, and yet you're doing nothing about it? There's financial injustice, there's racial injustice, there's wars. At a personal level, we might be struggling within our marriage, there might be sickness, might be struggling with our kids, we might have job loss, whatever the case may be, and it appears that, God, you're doing nothing about it. And I deeply, deeply resonate with this. There's been seasons of my life where I have felt utterly failed by God. And I'm trying to wrestle in my own mind and in the context of community is that the scriptures say that God is good and that he answers prayer and that he loves us and that he's all powerful and he's in control. And it appears that he's off sitting idly by doing nothing. And so I love about Christianity, I love about the scriptures is that they don't hide any of that. They don't, they don't wash over some of these challenging and complex situations that uh, you and I might want to try to just cover up and put a nice bow on it and then get on our way. But Habakkuk is coming to God and saying, you are failing at your job. And so the question is, how is God going to respond to this? Maybe a couple lightning bolts. Like, like to Job, hey, man up, I'm going to tell you everything that you don't know about. Where were you when I was doing, making the heavens and all this? Like, how is God going to respond to this? 
And it's pretty remarkable. He says this, God responds in verse 5 and says, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your day that you would not believe it if I told you. What a response. God says, look around, see it all, take everything in, your situation, your circumstance, what's going on in the country, what's going on in the world. Look at it, see it. And God says, for I'm doing something that even if I were to tell you about it, you wouldn't believe it. Now, God is going to end up telling Habakkuk all about this, and Habakkuk's not a fan of that either. But one of the things that we see in Christianity, one of the things we see all throughout this text is is perspective. Uh, It is so easy, and we'll talk about this as we go through more, it is so easy, uh, depending on the situation that you are in or that I am in, it is so easy to become myopic on what it is that's in front of us. We can't see the bigger picture. We can't see anything else that's going on because we get so focused by what's here and now. And that be, maybe it's because of pain, maybe it's because of confusion, maybe it's because of loss, whatever the case may be, that everything narrows in and all we can see is what is right in front of us. And God tells Habakkuk, I'm actually doing something. There's a perspective that's different than what you're holding and what you're feeling. And if I were to tell you about it, you wouldn't even believe it. But we see a radical honesty in Habakkuk coming to him. And so for the rest of the chapter, God actually does tell Habakkuk what he's going to do. In verses 6 through 17, God says, I'm actually going to raise up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and I'm going to send them in to judge you. I'm going to send them in to bring correction and reproof to the people of Israel because of your sin. And Habakkuk's not a fan of that either. He responds back to God in the second uh, complaint, the second response, and says, there's no way you would actually send this group in because they're worse than us. Why would you take a corrupt nation and send them in to judge and to kill and to take captive your beloved people? And so you see this existential crisis that's going on, this theological crisis that's going on in Habakkuk. He's seeing everything that's going on. He doesn't think that God is doing a good job at it. God tells him a different perspective, tells him what's actually going to happen. Habakkuk responds back again and says, no, you're also doing it wrong here. Why would you send a corrupt nation to bring pain and judgment to your special people? And that's how the chapter ends. And then we get into chapter 2. This is uh, where we'll we'll go from uh, point number one about Habakkuk's honesty to point number two, Habakkuk's practices. Uh, Habakkuk leaves the chapter in chapter one of telling God he's frustrated and confused with what he's choosing to do in terms of bringing the Chaldeans in for judgment. And this is what we see, this is what we see Habakkuk do after that. In verse 1 of chapter 2, he says this, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it, for still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end. It will not lie, if it seems slow, Wait for it. It will come. It will not delay. Verse 4, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright with him, but the righteous shall live by his faithfulness. 
So Habakkuk cries out to God, God responds to him, and Habakkuk's response back to, the, to God is to say this, I'm going to get away to be with God, and I'm going to wait to see what God will say. And God responds by saying, write it down, make it clear, this is going to happen despite it's going to take time and it's going to be slow. And so Habakkuk gets put in this situation where he actually gets an answer to his prayer in part. It's an answer he doesn't want. It's an answer he's not looking for at all. He's looking for, uh, like probably any of us would be looking for, which is God to come in to say, I'm going to fix it right now. Give me through the long weekend. I'm going to take care of it. Everything's going to be right. I'm going to fix the relational issues. I'm going to fix the global issues. I'm going to fix whatever issue you have, and we're going to be good to go by the weekend. And God doesn't respond like that. He says, I'm going to take care of it, but it's going to take time. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, for me, patience is like, like a real challenge. Like it's, a, like it's a, like a real big issue for me. Um, I do not do well uh, with patience, and I do not do well in uncertainty and things like that. It is my, uh, kind of my demeanor, my personality type to want to take control of situations and see what I can do to fix it as quickly as I can. I do that in life, I do that with work, I do that with family, and it certainly bleeds over into my relationship with God. Um, I, I don't think I'm alone in that by any stretch. When you look at our, uh, our nation, our globe, we uh, are, are by far some of the most impatient people on the planet. I mean, when you just think about life generally, from, um, from fast Wi-Fi, from fast food, to fast cars, from fast internet, whatever the case may be, and like this becomes a real acute existential crisis, uh, like when the Wi-Fi goes down. Like you, when you're streaming something and it starts buffering on Netflix, like it, this is like becomes a big deal. Or when you're in a traffic jam and everything within you that's sinful bubbles up to the surface all at one time. But the reality is this like we, we can joke about it, but it's also deeply felt and deeply true is we just we don't like to wait as a people. We don't like to wait for things. That's why there's a, an incredible amount of credit card debt that's why there's all of these things that say, hey, you can buy this now. You'll just be uh, with an interest-free loan for eight generations, but you can get it now. And we're like, that doesn't sound like a bad trade-off. And we take the same thing into our relationship with God, into Christianity, where we want things to happen quickly. But what we see through the scriptures in terms of how God forms us to be more Christ-like and more like him, it's generally speaking a very slow and arduous process. Uh, A.W. Tozer says it like this. He says, God never hurries. I mean, just hear that part for a second. God never hurries. There are no deadlines against which he must work. Only to know this is to quiet our spirit and relax our nerves. I mean, how do you hear that today? If you're in a situation where you're waiting, where you're frustrated, where there's uncertainty, when you hear the fact that God is not in a hurry, God is not in a rush, and part of our response is to learn how to relax and quiet our spirits. God's speed is drastically different than ours. And it's a valuable lesson we learn when we look through the scriptures and we see that God is patient with us, but our growth and development to become more like him is typically a very slow process. 
Uh, Ronald Rollhauser, a, a, a mystic, says it like this. I think he says it really well. Um, he says, the human soul is like a fine wine that needs to ferment in various barrels as it ages and mellows. That wisdom is generally learned through the crucible of struggle. It does not happen easily, without effort and without breakdown, but it happens almost despite us because such is the effect of conspiracy between God and nature to mellow the soul. To mellow the soul. I think if there's at least one or two things that I would hope to leave us with today is that part of God's work in us is to help mellow out our soul a bit. To be able to breathe, to be able to relax, to be able to become a people in the midst of pressure and hard situa- situations that become a non-anxious presence. And we'd all say, yes, I want that, that sounds great, can we just like get a master class on that and then it'll work and I'll be good to go? The problem is no. It's actually through uncertainty It's through ambiguous times. It's through challenging times over the course of our lifetime that God uses those to help us to become more like Jesus. The way the rest of the chapter ends is God actually responds to Habakkuk after he says that he's going to write the, uh, the vision down, he's going to wait, he's going to listen to what God has to, say, has to say to him, and God responds to Habakkuk by saying, hey, I, I am going to judge the Babylonians. They are not going to be let off scot-free, that I am a God who brings about justice, that I am going to fix these problems, that I am going to handle everything that you are worrying about and stressing about. It's just not going to happen in your time. And so you've got to put yourself in Habakkuk's shoes. He, like, he's talking with God. God is responding to him. And at like every turn, God is not giving him what he is looking for at all. I want you to fix this now. I want you to deal with this now. I want you to handle this issue now. And God says, you don't even know what's going on. There's a perspective that you couldn't even be aware of. If I were to tell you about it right now, you wouldn't believe it. And then he says, I'm going to send the Chaldeans to judge Israel. I'm going to send the Babylonians to do this, but I'm going to take care of them. There is going to be justice. It's just not going to be in the time frame that you want it to be in. That's not an easy place to be. I wonder, like, if if God were to say to you that I'm doing something right now in this season that if I told you about it from 20 years from now, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe what, I, what you're going to become, the character that's going to be developed, the hope that's going to be developed, the integrity, the love, the patience that's going to be developed. If I told you about it now, you wouldn't believe it. And then we get to chapter three, which is uh, really just a, a last bit uh, prayer, a song from Habakkuk, and we'll pick it up at the end of it, but this is Habakkuk's worship. He says this in verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. This is in response. You got to hold this intention. This is in response to what God has said to him. So this is, this is Habakkuk praying back to God saying, I've heard what you said and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound and rottenness enters into my bones. As evangelicals, we, we like our services, generally speaking, to be like uppy and, and, and high emotion and high hope and, and a lot of entertainment. We're not like real big fans of coming in on like the downer and the like, this isn't great and I don't really feel good about myself, TED Talk type of deal. Generally speaking, not saying anything about us. However, 
this is what Habakkuk says with his experience with God. I heard the voice of God, and my body trembled, my lips quivered, and I felt rottenness in my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet hear this, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no, no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like deer's. He makes me tread on high places. You see the remarkable tension in this prayer? The fact that he can hold together rottenness enters my bones, and yet I will rejoice in the Lord. That's a hard tension for, for us to hold in balance, and certainly it's a very hard tension for philosophies outside of Christianity to be able to hold into balance. But what you're seeing in Habakkuk is him crying, weeping at the end of his rope, and at the same time saying, I will rejoice. At the same time, I, I will have joy in the God of my salvation. And he says, though everything falls apart, though there be no food, though there be no work, that there, though there be no produce, though everything that we need to sustain for our existence goes away, I will still rejoice. What a grounding to be able to have. What a tension to be able to live in. How does Habakkuk respond? With fear, with trembling, and with trust. And so my hope, my encouragement for you today is, is, that, you, is that you at least know that that's how Christians can respond in challenging times, with fear, with rottenness and bones, with trembling, and confident trust. Despite everything that's going to happen, he believes confidently that God is faithful and just. Uh, Pete Scazzaro has a great line. He says, patience is often grounded in hope. The degree to which we have patience is the degree to which we place what we place our hope in. And so as Habakkuk listens to God, he has a hope, a trust that God is going to handle this whenever he chooses to. And so it gives him the ability to be patient and to sit quietly before him. Uh, one one philosopher, philosopher, theologian says it like this. He says, above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. Yet it is the law of progress that is made by passing through some stages of instability. And that it may take a very long time. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you. And accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. So potentially where you're at right now in your own incompleteness, in a season of waiting, in a, in, a, in, a, in a strange, awkward spot, might be exactly where God wants you to be for purposes that you and I might not be able to be aware of at this present moment. And there's probably no greater example of this than, uh, in my mind than Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
You think about Jesus in the garden. He's praying. Uh, He knows the cross is coming. He knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to suffer. He's in such anguish that he's sweating drops of blood. And he begins to pray to God the Father, and he says he asks him to stop this. He says, if there's any other way for salvation to happen, let's go that route. I don't want to go through this. Do something different. And yet he ends it by saying, not my will be done, but, but, but your will be done. And here Jesus is in the same type of crucible that we see from uh, the prophet Habakkuk where he's in this horrendous spot that he's, he's in so much anguish that he's physically sweating drops of blood that he wants to do something entirely different than what he knows is in front of him and yet he's able to say, not my will but your will be done. Uh, why? why? Why would he pray that? Why would he say that? Why would he submit himself to the will of God that's ultimately leading to his suffering and death? And I think the answer is because of you and I. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, the writer of Hebrews says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. If you notice in both of those passages, in Hebrews and back in Habakkuk um, chapter 3, uh, verse 18, Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. In Hebrews, Jesus says he, with joy, looked forward to the cross because of what it was going to accomplish. And so how do you have these horrible situations and where both writers and both people in them can say, I can hold on to this with joy because of what's going to happen. Jesus willingly endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. What joy that you and I might be forgiven of our sins, be given the Holy Spirit, brought back into relationship with God, and have an eternity guaranteed with him. And so Jesus was willing to be patient, to go through 30 years of obscurity, to spend three years of ministry um, with threats, with violence, being abandoned, and then going to Gethsemane and praying, asking for a different way, submitting uh, submitting his life to the will of God, enduring everything that the cross brings, and ultimately rising from the dead, conquering sin, Satan, and death on, on our behalf for us so that we might have hope, that we might have a perspective that's different. And so if you are in here and you are going through a situation that is anything like this, my hope, my encouragement is from a perspective spot that God does actually have things going on that you and I can't appreciate or even conceive at this moment. And that might feel alone, and that might feel lonely, but we also have a Savior who is intimately aware of those experiences. Intimately aware of those experiences. And has nothing but grace and patience and love for you and I as we go through these types of circumstances. And the hope, and the hope is that if we hang on to Jesus 
is that we spend time, we get away, we, we are with community, we're honest, we're brutally honest with God, with our situation. We can get to the point where we too, despite what's going on, can say, I rejoice and take joy in the God of my salvation. Because at the end of the day, we are being formed into a people to look more and more like Jesus. Patient, quiet, resilient, and deeply, deeply hopeful. Deeply hopeful. Because at the end of the day, regardless of what happens in our world, what happens in our economy, what happens with our families, we have a hope that is anchored beyond this world. And so, with that, we'll pause. I know that was like just 28 minutes of just pure heaviness. Uh, we'll, we'll pause for a second. Um, if anybody wants to, wants to regroup, ask a question, we can dialogue for a few minutes, um, and then we'll have the worship team come back up, and we'll, uh, we'll respond. Um, but anyone want to be the first brave one to take the leap? Yes. The A.W. Tozer quote? Uh, the one that says, uh, God never hurries. Uh, there are no deadlines against which he must work, only to know that, uh, know this is to be quiet, is to quiet our spirits and relax our nerves. One more time, yeah. I'll actually try to like say it articulately this time rather than butchering it. Uh, it Tozer says, God never hurries. There are no deadlines against which he must work, only to know this is to quiet our spirit and relax our nerves. Who else? Yeah. What time period is this in history that Habakkuk is writing, and what's going on for Israel? Do you have Um Yes, I think this is, someone's going to fact check me, but I think this is around 500, 580, somewhere in there. Um, I'll have to look it up. I can get back. Okay, okay. So I was, I mean, that's better than I thought I was going to be, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, I mean, the context, this, what he says in, in, in verse 1 through 4 is basically the, the law has gone paralyzed. Like nobody is obeying um, uh, the scriptures anymore. Uh, there's injustice left and right. There's um, a, a, an immense amount of violence and suffering and sin that's going on. And Habakkuk, as a prophet, um, is very frustrated because there's nothing that's going on. So it's around that time period, and and, and that's really the context. There's this this um, uh, this communal going away from the scriptures uh, that is leading to um, a pretty rough existence for the people of God. Who else? Yeah, that's good. So, uh, great question. So, a question is like, uh, um, uh, uh, patience can almost be synonymous with just sitting back doing nothing. 
and so what does it actually look like to be, um, uh, to be actively patient in the midst of whatever's going on, whatever we're dealing with, um, which, is, which is great. And, and I think that's what you see in, um, in Habakkuk. I, I think you could almost call it an active patience. Um, he's saying in chapter two, I'm gonna go stand watch on my watch post and station myself in the tower. It's kind of this idea of getting away and gaining perspective. I'm going to, uh, I'm gonna physically go get away and be alone and be silent with God and wait and listen. Um, he says, I'm going to look out to see what he's going to say, and I will answer concerning my complaint. Um, and so Habakkuk takes this, this approach where he's expectant that God is going to speak to him. Uh, he believes that God's going to act, and he also takes the steps of, I'm going to go get away. I'm going to go spend time uh, with him, trying to align my perspective to his. And so I, I think from a, for us today, what, what does it look like to be, to be patient? That's certainly a part of it. I think practices of community are, are essential to that. Um, being able to be in a, with a group of people that are safe, that you can be honest and that you can be vulnerable. Because again, getting back, I think we get so myopic on our situation uh, at times that it's incredibly helpful to have a group of people around that can just kind of shed light on the broader perspective. And so I, I think um, time alone with God is critical, silence, stillness, waiting on him as a practice, but I also think time in community with relationships with people where we're honest, where we're vulnerable, and people are coming in to encourage us, to give us strength, to help us to not grow weary, as the author of Hebrews says, um, is, is really important. So I, those would be a couple. Um, one more if we, if we haven't. The worship team, you guys come on up. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. So, yeah, we see the, the narrative arc in, this, in the story around the fig tree even in, um, in Habakkuk, and then we see the, the parable um, through the Gospels around the fig tree. Um, I, I do think, I mean, I, I think from Habakkuk's standpoint, he's, he's preparing for an invasion, um, and he's looking at what the Babylonians have done. He's well acquainted. And, and if you read through chapter 2, Habakkuk, or God gives a description of the character and nature of, this, uh, of the nation. Um, and how they would come in and they would actually put fish hooks in the mouths of people and line them up as they would take them out of the city. This is a, an incredibly barbarian-like people. And so um, Habakkuk is very aware of, of this people coming in. And so both physically, literally, and I think even metaphorically, when he's talking about the fig tree being barren, when he's talking about all this stuff, there's a very real side that they're going to, a, a very real reality that they're going to get plundered. Everything that they know physically is going to be taken away. But I also think there's this, there's this part that um, even metaphorically about everything being stripped away from what he's thought, what he's worshipped, what he's been praying for, what he's been going through. And so even on both of those, in, in, in terms of attention, uh, attention point, he's still able to say, Regardless of all of those things, you're good. I trust you. There's joy to be had. And so, yeah, I, I, do, I think there's probably more, more in that than, than even that. That's a good question. Um, awesome. Well, thank you guys um, for being willing to ask questions. I, I love the conversation. Um, uh, here's my encouragement as, as, as we close and, and respond in singing and worship. Um, uh, some of you today... Uh, Maybe today is the moment um, here where you actually just need to be brutally honest with God. 
One of the things I love about Christianity is God is big enough to handle our complaints, our anger, our fears, but he's also personal enough to care and address them. And so my encouragement and maybe even permission to some of you today is to be honest with God about where you're at. Um, Not just the pleasantries or the trite kind of honesty, but the real, like, I, I mean, he's just not messing around when he's saying rottenness enters my bones. And so maybe that, that for you is, is a place to be today. Um, maybe for, for some of you, for all of us, um, today is to stand back a little bit and, and, and have some perspective in the midst of a challenge, challenging situation that God is aware of it, that he sees it, that he's actually actively working on it in a way that we might not be able to see or feel or sense at the moment, but that we know that he is. And then maybe for some of us today, it's, it's also, it's just a deep reminder of the hope that we have in Jesus. The hope that we have in Jesus, that, that Jesus on our behalf went through obscurity, went through, um, went through anguish, went through suffering, went through pain, all so that you and I might be brought back into relationship with God and have the hope of eternity. And so my encouragement is that might look like for you raising your hands That might look like singing. That might look like um, um, high emotion. It might look like just sitting in your chair in tears. It might look whatever it's going to look like. It might look like coming up to the carpets and receiving prayer and not saying anything but just asking for prayer. It might be grabbing someone from your community group or whatever the case may be to just be. But I want to encourage you to bring all of that to God today because he can handle it all and he deeply, deeply wants to minister and love you through it. And we have a rock-solid hope that can't be touched because of what Jesus has accomplished. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for uh, the truth of Scripture. Thank you for the honesty of Habakkuk. Thank you for your response, God, that you do speak, that you have not left us here alone. And thank you, Jesus, for hope. Thank you that you endured the cross for us and that you rose confidently from death to show us what's in store for us, that we too will rise in newness one day to be with you. And so I pray today that you would please meet us exactly where we're at, whether it be in our honest confession and frustration, whether it be in, in times of hope and times of joy or where it, whether it be in time of a deep sadness that you would come and minister to us and give us a perspective that you love us, that you died for us, that you saved us, and that you've given us the Holy Spirit to comfort and bring peace to us. Be with us now. We love you. We thank you so much. And it's for your beautiful name. Amen.